Hello, and welcome to Dockside, the podcast that helps you save and enjoy the waters you love by sharing clean and safe boating practices. I'm your host, Sarah Kennedy. In this episode, we'll talk with Dr. Chris Lowe, Professor in Marine Biology and Director of the Shark Lab at California State University, Long Beach. Today, we will learn about his career dedicated to studying baby and juvenile white sharks of Southern California and how we can enjoy the California coastline safely while operating our boats around these incredible species. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lowe. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We're so excited to talk to you about your exciting career studying sharks and how you use boats to get access to these incredible species. Um, can you tell us what you do at Cal State Long Beach? Yeah, so the Shark Lab is a research lab on campus that has been around since 1966. It's actually one of the oldest shark research labs in the country. And, and our main focus is studying shark behavior and ecology. So um, I took over in 1998. I've been at Cal State Long Beach 25 years. And we also use a lot of technology in studying sharks. And that's the other thing that we're really well known for. So we do a lot of field work. We're out in boats all the time. We're diving all the time. We're working off the California coast all the way up to central California. So we spend a lot of time on the water and, and that's all, it's always a joy. It's one of the things I enjoy the most about my job. What an interesting career and what kind of education to, did you receive to get where you are today? Yeah, well, I'd say most of my uh, on-water experience came from growing up on Martha's Vineyard. So I was an island kid, and there was nothing really to do but be on the water and in the water. My grandfather was a commercial fisherman, and he fished for 70 years commercially. Uh, and then I, I don't remember never not being on a boat or, or learning how to swim or learning how to fish. I just always remember how to do those things. So I, I was kind of exposed to those things at a very young age. And then I began to realize that there was opportunity to, to study animals rather than catch them just for profit. And, and that kind of drove me to school. So that, that gave me an avenue by which to go to college and, and study marine biology, which my parents who didn't go to college were thinking, do, do you get paid to do that sort of thing? Is that a job? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my grandfather was particularly happy about that because he was like, don't go into commercial fishing. You know, all the fish are gone. It's bad. Um, but he was glad to know that I still love being on the ocean and, and was doing something to help save the ocean. He looked at it that way, I guess. That is so cool. And what drew you to the career in studying sharks? Yeah. So uh, as a kid, I fished every day that I could. And and I remember that day where I caught a dogfish. I didn't know what it was. I caught thousands of other fish and I was in a good student and I actually had to go to the library to look it up. And, you know, the librarian, I grew up on a small island. Everybody knew everybody. So when I walked into the library, they were like, oh my God, what's going on? And And they showed me a book on sharks so that I could identify this thing that I caught. And I think I actually had it in the library, which kind of got me in trouble too. Um, and then we looked <laughs> it up in a book and I began to realize, wow, this is kind of cool. Look at all this information. And that kind of got me started down that path. The other thing is I quickly learned that, um, you know, diving and boating and things like that were, were great. I grew up doing them, but I was never really trained on how to do it safely. You know, like I never had anybody to say, okay, these are, these are the things you got to do to be safe. 
um, you know, you just grow up doing it and you you do what works. Um, so as I progressed through college and things like that, I received a lot more formal training in, in safe boating and and those sorts of things and diving. And and they they've been a big eye opener. They influence how I train students how to do this as well. Um, and many of whom have had no experience on boats prior to coming to college. So it, it's an opportunity for them to kind of to learn how to use boats as a tool for our profession and how to do it safely. And, and it makes me feel better that they're learning those things earlier than I did. I love that. And what do you love most about your career? Um, I would say the thing that I love the most is that I get to go in the field and I get to work with students. Those are the things that I really enjoy. Uh, I love working with the animals. That's always fun. Um, I don't like the paperwork that comes with all of that. The permits and all those things drive me crazy, but that's just the way of the world these days. Um, but it's really being out. And, and I think that's uh, being able to go out off the California coast and go to places where other people don't get to go um, has really been the, the main thing that has driven me in my career. Um, not just off California, I've got to travel the world and go to places where people just don't get to go and dive. Um, to see those places is just amazing. So I think, you know, being able to share that with people and explain to them how special those places are and how it's good that people can't go to those places, I think is is kind of, you know, an important part of what I do as well. Well, speaking about traveling, where has your job taken you? Yeah, so that's that's a great thing about being a marine biologist. You may not make a lot of money, but you do get to do some <laughs> travel. So I've worked all throughout the Pacific. Uh, I've done work in Alaska, all throughout the Hawaiian Islands, all the way up to Midway, um, and then down into the South Pacific, uh, the Hawaiian Islands, Palmyra, um, you know, a lot of those kind of remote places that most people don't get access to. I've done work in the Caribbean. I've done work, a little bit of work in Australia, you know, basically all over the world. So those are the fun things. Right now I have a project in, in the Arabian Sea, which has been wow. really interesting. So uh, it's the hottest sea on the planet. So wow. by, you know, this time of year, surface water's a hundred degrees. Oh my goodness. Wow. And I think sharks get like a pretty bad rep, but they're so important. Why are sharks so important to our ecosystem? Yeah. So sharks basically serve an important role. They're, they're a fish like any other fish, but, but they serve that role as being at the top of the food chain, many of them, but many of them are also kind of in the middle of the food chain as well. And the ones that are in the middle of the food chain occur in higher abundance, which means they have a greater influence on things on the food chain below them. And then the things at the top, like white sharks, for example, uh, are at the tippy top, there'll never be that many of those because there won't be enough resources to support them. Um, and it's not because they're going to eat everything. It's because the things get smart enough not to get eaten. So that's the part that I find really fascinating and, and interesting in studying, but it's hard to always relate to the public because occasionally sharks bite people. And we don't really know why that happens sometimes. And, and it's that unknown that scares people the most. Totally. And you use boats to access um, sharks and study sharks. Uh, what kind of boats or vessels do you use? 
<laughs> yeah, so um, we use a variety of vessels. Um, you know, the smallest we use are kayaks um, because in some places it's easier, it's convenient, um, it's actually safer. Uh, and then most of the time, most of our work are done off 17-foot Boston whalers. And we we rip out the consoles. We put tiller arms on them. You've got this big deck space, and they're low to the water, which means if you've caught a shark and you're working it up next to the boat, you don't have to lean way over the gunnels to do that. And you don't want to lift a couple hundred pound shark out of the water if you don't have to. So, um, you know, those become you know, our bread and butter boats there, they get beat up, you know, we find these old whaler hulls and we patch them back together and, and, and they're great. They're easy to trailer, they're light. We can operate close to the shore, which is important too, because many of the juvenile white sharks are literally just outside the wave break. And, and that's actually a, a much safer vessel to operate in those zones than something larger. Um, you're more maneuverable. It's easier to kind of keep an eye on your back make sure you're not going to get caught by a set coming out and, and they're smaller and more maneuverable in the surf. Um, in addition, we work very closely with lifeguards. In fact, a lot of times we work off lifeguard vessels, whether it's their PWCs that they're using, or they have surf boats that they launch from the beach and those are inflatables. And we always joke, you know, you never really want to do shark research from an inflatable <laughs> for many good reasons. Um, it only takes a few little nibbles. And the next thing you know, your pontoons are, are deflating. So, um, you know, we try to use fiberglass hulls, light, light boats. Um, up in Alaska, we use, you know, aluminum hull vessels. They just work better. Um, you know, they're more durable. And uh, a lot depends on where we're, where we're working and what we're working on to decide what's the best vessel for that kind of work. Um, but for a lot of what we do in Southern California, the smaller boats are better. Awesome, and there's obviously risks involved in studying sharks. How do you keep you and your students safe while you're studying sharks on the boat? We train, we train, we train. So we practice on how to properly catch and handle sharks. Um, we do that over and over again till it becomes second nature, just like cleaning a boat or docking a boat. Um, you know, you do it over and over and over again. And, and then we really focus on the safety of the person and the safety of the animal. So we always ask ourselves, it, are we in conditions where we can operate safely? And if we caught a shark, could we handle the shark safely? And if we determine that those conditions aren't suitable for that, we say we're not going to do it. So it's hard because you can see the sharks there, you know the sharks are there, but you know there's a there's a too high a risk of operating under those conditions. And it's frustrating sometimes, but we know it's for the best. So most of it is training. We train over and over again. And the rule, simple rule in my lab is do not get bitten. <laughs> <laughs> so so we we focus mainly on, you know, we're handling sharks, who is responsible for controlling the animal. Um, you know, what's the best way to position or main, maintain the animals so that people can take measurements, tissue samples, blood, even do surgery on the animals. So uh, no one gets to touch an animal without being properly trained. So we spend a lot of time focusing on that. Are you doing the training like in the lab or are you doing it on, on the boat? So we start in the lab. So we start actually with dead animals. We start even with toys. And then once they kind of learn what to do, then we move into the boats where we're working. And then there are people, trainees, who are watching over your shoulder while you're doing this. 
and then eventually they get folded into the practice. So it's it's literally a, an apprenticeship. You, you work your way up until the point where you get to do all the things, even surgeries on sharks. And, yeah. and it, again, you have to demonstrate proficiency and that you can do it safely and, and confidently. Um, and you can make good judgment calls. And, and that's the part about my students going out and operating independently because that's what they're being trained for. Eventually, they will be doing this on their own. So cool. And when you do your research, what are the best and worst times of year to be out in the water studying sharks? Well, right now, fall is the best time because they're usually our best ocean conditions, right? The wind starts to lay down. Uh, water temperature is high, so there's a lot more sharks around. Um, and and we we get longer periods of good conditions. A lot, obviously, this varies from year to year, but typically fall is is the peak in shark season. So not only are juveniles near shore, but we get adults coming back from their ocean migrations and we start to see them more, especially around the offshore islands. So we we use the fall as a season to go out and try to tag some adults as well. So, so this is kind of the, the end of the big busy season, which is summer. And then usually starting around November, when we start getting more of those north winds and north swells, that's when field work starts to slow down a little bit. doesn't stop. We work year round. But, but the sharks um, tend to move offshore. The, the young ones migrate south to Baja. And usually activity decreases. And it gets harder to get out and work in nearshore waters just because of wind and surf. And do you have any advice or boating best practices for people who may be operating their boats around sharks or other wildlife? Yeah, so the the one thing we always tell people is, look, you know, if you're running along the shore, everybody, you know, wants to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. Um, but it's those areas, especially when it's calm and in, in the late afternoon, evening, the sharks quite often are up at the surface and we think they're actually warming up with the sun and they're sleeping. So they're kind of moving very, very slowly. They're kind of cruising at the surface. They have very good senses. They can definitely hear boats from probably a long way away and can feel uh, the pressure of a boat. But if if they're if you're moving really quickly and they're not paying attention, you can hit them. And we do see a lot of sharks with that have boat strikes. In other words, we'll see that prop pattern that vertical lines along the body, which indicated they get run over by a boat. So we always tell people, look, there's aggregation sites where we know there are sharks. And if you know of those areas, you really should go slow through those areas or go further offshore if you're gonna run faster. Um, but when you're close to shore, obviously, you know you should always keep an eye out, not just for sharks, but marine mammals and people. And where are these places that people should be most aware or careful about operating vessels near sharks? Where did sharks tend to hang out? So the aggregation sites change from year to year. So, and we're not really sure how they decide what's gonna be a good aggregation site that year. Um, what we do know is quite often they're less than 500 yards from the beach. So if you're running along the beach and you're in close, you could possibly run into some of these animals. Now, a lot of the places where the sharks are hanging out are also places where people are in the water and lifeguards don't allow vessels to operate within a certain distance of the shoreline because of worries about people getting hit. So the good thing is sharks get the benefit of being inside that same zone that also is there to protect people. 
And, and we think that helps. And in fact, sharks might even be choosing some of these aggregation sites based on the lack of boat traffic in some of those areas, which is exactly what people do when they're choosing what beaches they want to swim at. So, so I think, you know, right now, what people just have to be aware of is shark numbers are going up. Um, the sharks are are staying longer. Some of them are overwintering and, and they're getting larger. So the juveniles that we'll see at a beach may be up to nine feet long and they're still a juvenile. So that's getting to be a decent sized shark. That's the size of a, a of a, a longboard. So people just need to keep in mind that if you hit one of those with your boat, it's it's going to hurt your boat too. That's going to do some damage to your prop. So um, it's not just to protect the sharks, it's to protect your vessel as well. Can you tell us about some of your new research with drones? Yeah, so one of the questions uh, that we were trying to look at, so we're funded by the state in 2018 because of the increase in white sharks along our coast and concerns about public safety. So one of the research projects that we focused on was how often are sharks, white sharks and people together at the same time. And to do that, we used drones. So I had a grad student who flew drone surveys at 26 public beaches across Southern California every month for two years. And basically what he found was at beaches that had aggregation sites, these were ones where there are aggregations of white sharks. And the most that we saw in a single day was 40 white sharks at a single- Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> um, that, no, no surprise, <laughs> they were within 60 feet of a person many times during the course of the day. And, and he could tell from his aerial surveillance flights that those people didn't know the sharks were there. So for the first time in the US, we were able to quantify how often are people and white sharks together at the same time. And then of course, we were able to document that people weren't being bitten at those beaches. That's so, great news. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and it basically shows, and, and we think that that study is kind of revolutionary in that they could see the drone footage. They could see what the sharks were doing. Um, you know, they would swim right underneath surfers or swimmers like they weren't there like they were ignoring us. So when people see that, maybe they look at these sharks a little differently. And, you know, we always tell people your probability of being bitten by a shark is incredibly low. But if you yell white shark off a public beach, people are gonna come clamoring out of the water. <laughs> I, I think maybe with some of these new data, some people might not respond as badly as they used to. And sharks seem to be attracted to noise. Um, how do they react to boat noise? Yeah, so that's that's a really interesting question because we find aggregations of sharks at places where there are lots of people, but we also find them in places where there are not very many people. So one of our questions that we're trying to answer now, and I have a new grad student that's working on this, is how much noise in these environments um, falls within the shark's hearing range or what it can feel, because they can feel vibrations in the water as well. So we have a device that enables us to measure that. So what we're, one of the things we're interested in is whether sharks can identify people based on the sounds or the vibrations we produce. So we, we put students in the water who will swim by the hydrophone so we can measure the sounds of a swimmer. And then we can measure the sounds of a surfer paddling. We can measure the sounds of a kayaker kayaking. And then we can just measure ambient sounds. What are the noises around? And then filter out only what the sharks can hear, and then ask, are there differences in those signals? 
Then what we can do is actually play that back through a special speaker and see if we can get sharks to respond to those sounds. And if we can, that would indicate that they can identify them. So what we find very interesting and maybe an intriguing idea is what if by not pulling people out of the water every time we know there's a white shark nearby, that those sharks are learning to identify people. And because they know how to identify people, they're not considering us food because people aren't being bitten. And as long as people aren't harassing them and not chasing them and threatening them, and that results in people not being bitten, then maybe, maybe people will be bitten less in the future because sharks won't mistake them for prey. They'll already know what a human sounds like. So this is an intriguing idea. We have no data to show that that's actually the case, but that's something that we're working on now. Coming back to boats and, and noise. So the lifeguards, many of our lifeguards use PWCs, basically jets, right? And they drive them all around the beach. They use them for rescues. Um, they obviously have to do a lot of training in those areas. One of the things that we've noticed working with lifeguards and trying to tag sharks at these areas is that jet skis don't bother them at all. They've even mm. tried to chase sharks away from the beach using jet skis. They completely <laughs> ignore them. So we know they can hear them, um, but but because they can't go underwater, they really the sharks realize they don't pose a threat. And as a result, quickly just learn to ignore them. Um, the same is true for boats. And, and, and we see this, you know, um, we'll see as we get closer to them, a lot of times if we're going really slowly, we can motor right up to them and, and literally have them right in front of the boat. That's how we tag a lot of the sharks. We suspect they can hear them, but they're judging that just like we do, whether something is coming really fast at you and you need to move out of the way or whether something's moving really slowly and it doesn't seem to pose a threat. So we think they, they're, they've they learned a lot by hanging out in our coastal waters over the years, and that's helped keep them safe to a certain extent. Very cool. Can we talk about laws protecting sharks? Are there any laws we should be aware of while operating a vessel around sharks in California? Yes. So, so there are um, obviously Cal Fish and Wildlife restrictions about shark fishing and, and how, what sharks you can catch and the size limits and how many you can take. Um, white sharks, however, are protected by law in the state of California. It is illegal to target them. It is also illegal to harass them. So if people are out in boats and chasing them around in a boat without a permit, um, they could be fined for harassment because they are a protected species. So, so those are things that people should be aware of. Um, you know, we never encourage that. We do it um, to a certain extent because that's how we tag them. But we're very judicious in how we do that. We, we won't do it in multiple days. We'll give them a week or two off before we come back. Um, but if people are out there chasing them around all the time, um, that could change their behavior and potentially make them more dangerous. So these are things that people need to be aware of. Um, and, and the law, the new law that went into place in January um, re restricts, you know, so if you're doing something that deliberately is harassing a shark, you can be fined for that. And do you have any safety recommendations for fishermen or anglers around sharks? So first of all, it is now illegal to chum. Um, that That's the law too, that was passed in oh. January to to deliberately chum for white sharks or to use bait or lures for white sharks without a permit. Um, so that means if people are going to do that, they have to do that offshore. And prior to January 1st, 
that was allowable even off a beach. We had people chumming off public piers and beaches while kids were in the water. And that's that's just not smart. That's going to get somebody hurt. So um, now because of that restriction, if there are white sharks nearby and somebody gets caught doing that, they can be fined. Um, we always recommend if you're going to do that sort of thing, do it offshore. That way you're not luring sharks to a public beach where people may be swimming and putting sharks in a feeding mode. Um, those are the sorts of things that, you know, if you want to do offshore and you want to go fishing for sharks, it's perfectly legal as long as you check the regulations and make sure the species you're targeting, you're allowed to target. Um, but, you know, again, we're all, all, we should always be thinking about public safety. So the exciting thing for me is that we're seeing sharks come back because of better fisheries management, I think better ocean management. We're seeing a lot of shark species populations recover. And that means people are going to see them more often. But with that, again, we have to be more careful where we boat. We have to be more careful where we fish. And we, we need to be cognizant of ways of safely releasing those animals if we do catch them. And, and again, we want people to be safe and we want the animals to be released unharmed as much as possible as well if you're not going to keep it. If there's one thing that you want our friends listening out there to take away from this podcast about sharks, what would you want it to be? Well, I think um, there's nothing more exciting than being out in the water and, and imagine seeing a 12 foot white shark swim by your boat. I mean, some people would be like, oh my God, that's so scary. I think most people would think that is something they will never forget for the rest of their lives. I mean, it's an amazing thing to see. So if you have a boat in California and you're able to go offshore and you're able to see whales or dolphins or marine mammals or sharks, you know, you've been given this amazing opportunity that very few people might actually get. So, um, you know, that's the advantage of being able to boat off California and the safer you can do it, the safer it is for you, safer it is for those animals. And you will see things that you will never forget for the rest of your life. You have any final thoughts or anything to add for everyone listening out there? Well, the other thing I would love to add is me and my students are in the water all the time, diving, snorkeling. Please be safe driving around us. So when you see those dive flags, please abide by those dive flags. People are in the water. A lot of people spearfish now. Um, so you got to be careful when you're driving around. Look for the floats. Uh, a lot of people are ocean swimming. So they're out sometimes away from a beach. So keep an eye out for those floats. So um, those of you that have boats with autopilots, remember, they're not going to detect somebody in the water, a spear fisherman or uh, somebody swimming. You can't just leave your boat unattended. You constantly have to be watching. So those are the things that, you know, I would I would recommend. I tell my students, I beat into them to make sure that when we're on the water, we're being safe as possible and making sure that other people that are in the water are, are, are not going to be harmed by anything that we do. Thank you. Yeah, that's safe boat operation is the most important thing out there. And thank you, Dr. Lowe, for your time today. It's been an absolute honor speaking with you and learning about your amazing career. And thank you to all the listeners out there for joining us. Please plan to tune in for our future episodes. This podcast was brought to you by the California State Parks, the California Coastal Commission, and the San Francisco Estuary Partnership, and it is partially funded by the Division of Boating and Waterways Clean Vessel Act Education Program and the Federal Clean Vessel Grant Program. <laughs>